This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up? What's up, everybody? Ricky Whitmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swanson. Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. You know what I almost did? I almost said fellow man-child, Brandon Swanson, but that would not be right because the fellow man-child is not you. That's Johnny Carlick. So I almost screwed up the opening, but I did not. The one, the only, Brandon Swanson. Swanson. Welcome in to the Primetime Podcast right here on Most Valuable Podcast. You one-stop shop for college sports, mainly football and basketball Almost a full basketball podcast. We got two basketball topics. We're talking football as well. Looking at Texas, looking at March Madness, looking at Josh Allen, the big three. Before we get into it, though, housekeeping. Number one, if you want to help support the channel, help us keep the lights on, check out patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast. If you want to help us also and flaunt that you love MVP, check out our store where you can buy our MVP t-shirt. Then you got to go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes if you're on that, listening on that Please give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. And then last but not least, go ahead and bookmark Most Valuable Podcast because you might watch this on YouTube. You might listen to us on podcast services around the world, but you can also get everything at your fingertips by bookmarking MostValuablePodcast.com to get everything from MVP. But Brandon, let's get right into it. First thing we are talking about today are the Texas Longhorns. And some people might look at this, the question that we're asking, and say, but guys, technically they're in right now. If we look at Joe Lenardi's bracketology, Texas is one of the last four teams in. They'd play on the opening round, which is in um, Dayton, one of the last four. I believe they would play Syracuse in Lenardi's um, bracketology. However, this is a team six of eight in conference. They're a team that's 16 and 11 overall. Their seeding is not final. And they could fall just as quickly as they could climb. So with four games left, they've got Kansas State on the road, Oklahoma State at home. They go to the field house to play our Patreon Pats team. And then they play West Virginia at home on Senior Day, March 3rd. Brandon, I'm going to ask you, will Texas basketball make the tournament this year? Well, Ricky, it really depends on how the, this team finishes. Uh, the win against Oklahoma this past weekend was certainly a step in the right direction on the road against Oklahoma. Now, you can say Oklahoma, they were ranked 23 at the time, but you can say that this is a team that is Oklahoma, that is, they are just in a just spiraling downwards, mm-hmm. and they're in a free fall, and that's true. They are. They've what lost eight of their last 10 games. They have not been playing well, but look at this Texas team, though. They're also a team. That has not been playing well. The two wins in the last five games for Texas is Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. And Oklahoma stinks right now. Um, So I I think that Texas really needs to get it together and they need to get it going. Uh, And it starts on Wednesday on the road at K-State. They need to be able... These next four games, two two of them are ranked opponents with Kansas... In West Virginia. Mm -hmm. If they can win two of these next four, preferably at least one against one of the ranked teams, I think Texas can find themselves in the tournament. If not, I don't think so. I don't think that they will be able to make it then. And, And I know that, like you said when you opened it up, they're in right now, but that means nothing. Because these next four games, they are so crucial, and these next four games are not going to be easy. Why? 
They've lost to all four of these teams this season. You're taking the words right out of my mouth. 0-4 against the final four in the last four games that they have. I'm looking at them right now. K-State, they lose. Yeah, it's a three-point loss, so Texas fans can sit there and go, ah, we should have got them. Point is, you didn't get them. And the thing that can't happen is, yeah, I know Davis Jr. had 13 off the bench, but out of your starters, Mo Bamba had 18. Your next highest scorer is you have three players under him with eight points. That can't happen. Go to Oklahoma State. Yeah, you only lose by one. Okay, another tough game. You could win that one, this one especially, being at home. However, I look at it. Yeah, Mo Bamba with 11. You've got um, Astrakowski with 12. Besides that, 5, 1, and 9 from your starters. Yeah, you get Davis Jr. again with double digits off the bench. Then the Kansas game. You cannot let, what, three players from Kansas shoot into 20 points or more, and you also had um, one more player with 13, and then Newman off the bench with 13. Yeah, you guys had players in double digits as well, but... The final four, and the last one is the big one because you lost by over 30 points against Press Virginia, who that game to me might be the toughest of the four only because of the type of defense that West Virginia brings to it. So the reason why I wanted to talk about this is this is the exact reason. Texas is in a crucial spot right now where it's like, okay, we are on the cusp. We are on the line. The line is here, and we are just inside of this line. You lose these next four, I don't know if the conference tournament can save you to where you, you'd have to win enough. But if you win a few of these, win two, maybe lose, even if you go two and two, win the K-State and the Oklahoma State, lose Kansas-West Virginia, then you can try to make a splash in the conference tournament because the one thing this team has not been in Big 12 play is consistent. They haven't hit a winning streak. Their win losses are since they played Kansas on the December 29th, loss win, loss win, loss win, loss win win, loss win, three losses and a win. They haven't had that they haven't been able to get that win streak, which kind of makes me nervous heading into not only these last four but also the conference tournament where basically you need a win streak to make a statement because if you lose, you're going home. Hasn't that kind of been the Big 12, though, this year? Mm-hmm. Even the teams at the top, Texas Tech and Kansas, tied at 10-4 and four in the conference, they haven't been consistent. There hasn't been one team that's been able to pull away in the Big 12 this season and say, I am the number one team, I'm at the top. They really haven't had that. There's been a lot of inconsistency. After those two 10-4 teams, then it's West Virginia and K-State at 8-6, Baylor 7-7, TCU and Oklahoma and Texas at Mm 6-8. I mean, there there really hasn't been a whole lot because they've beat up on each other. The only thing I will argue there is that Texas Tech and Kansas – Although it hasn't been easy sailing the whole time, Kansas has had it to where between January 6th and January 20th, almost the entire month. Actually, yeah, almost the entire month of January, there was one Oklahoma game where they lost, where they rattled off, what, five wins, lost one, then rattled off two more, where you have then Texas Tech, which coming in rattled off three wins, then went kind of one and four, and then ever since losing two Iowa State, they rattled off one, two, three, four, five, six, seven games total, one of those being a non-conference matchup at South Carolina. So 
the big thing about those, and while they're at the top, yes, they haven't been winning all the way through. Obviously, they've lost some games, but they've had some win streaks of maybe three or more that has helped them get to where they are, and they're not six and eight like Texas. What I want to look at here with Texas is the fact that they have been a competitive team this season. Yes. They've been very competitive. I mean, we can go all the way back to when they played Duke, Most Shaka who smart is, teams are. Who was number one at the time. They lose 85-78. That was one of those games uh, of like three mm-hmm. or four in a row where, yep. oh, Duke, it's, they're in a scare. You're getting the notification from ESPN showing that Duke Duke's either down or in a close game with Texas. And then Texas, the game after, they lose 85-78 to Duke. The game after they play Gonzaga and... They lose 76 to 71, but yet again, another mm-hmm. competitive game. Overtime again. And and I know that you look at those and those aren't wins. You can't say look back and go, oh, those are quality wins. But you know, those are those are losses that you look at and you go, Texas was very competitive. They could hang with mm-hmm. one of those teams come tournament time. Well, and I even look recently, the one thing I want to say, I want to backtrack to that Duke game. The only reason, in my mind, the only reason they lost that game is Mo Bamba fouled out. Because Mo Bamba fouled out, I believe, at the end of regulation. Then it became the Marvin Bagley show, and basically it was just, hey, pass it down to Marvin. He's going to slam it home because there's no one down there that could guard him with Mo Bamba being on the bench. But, I mean, just look at the conference play. The biggest losses that they have had, 86-51 to Press Virginia, and then the TCU Horn Frogs beat them 87-17. Other than that, one point to Baylor. You've got three points to K-State. Two points to Texas Tech. That one was an overtime game. You've got a one-point loss to OK State. you got a nine-point loss to Baylor. And then you had the, what if my math is correct, six-point loss to Kansas the first time you guys have played. So it's not like the Longhorns are out of these last four, but they got to take these seriously, and they got to hit a stride because the— if I'm looking at it, like K-State's going to be interesting because it's on the road, and going into someone else's house is always interesting. However, they just went to Oklahoma and won. And the thing that basically we can look at because of what they were able to do to Oklahoma, who have a top 10 draft pick in their own, maybe even top 5 draft pick in Trey Young on that team, could we take, and I know it's only one game, but could we take this one game and be like, this is going to be the beginning of something special where they rattle off maybe three, four wins and even shock a press Virginia or Kansas. Well, I think uh, that's what Texas is probably hoping for. Mm-hmm. They have to look at this game and, and, and say, hey, we just went in and we beat Oklahoma. It doesn't matter uh, where they're at. We beat the number 23 team in the country and for the second time in five games. We need to now take this momentum and roll it right over into our game on the road at K-State, win that game, take that momentum, get Oklahoma State at home. I, I think that this is something that Texas definitely can do. But these next four games, these are when you want you want to lean on your big man. You want to lean on your number one player, and that's where... Mo Bamba, I think, is going to come in extremely crucial in these next four games. If he can have a good game, Texas can get behind that, and that's what's going to help lead them to victories. You know what else is interesting, and I've done this almost every time. We've talked about teams and 
whether or not they could make the tournament or not. Basically, to me, it also comes down to the schedule of the conference tournament because right now, Texas is eighth, and they're tied with Oklahoma and TCU, so there's a chance that they can flip. They are sitting almost on the cusp of being in good favor or bad favor because right now, they would have to, how the Big 12 tournament works is you've got 7 through 10 play the first round on last year was a Wednesday. So they play on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, you get everyone else starts their first game. And then basically from there, it's basically what? That would be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 teams. It's an 18 bracket from there. Goes on to the championship. I'll ask you, do you think it'd be for a team like Texas – would it be beneficial to ah, maybe this is a dumb question? Would it be beneficial for them to have one more game in the conference tournament, maybe get a win and then another win before losing? Because maybe it's just me thinking, ah, you're not going to win the Big 12 conference tournament, and that could be. But would it be maybe beneficial in a negative way to maybe play that first round game to get maybe an extra win or a possible? extra win on that Wednesday. What do you mean beneficial in a negative way? We're, so it's a negative way because you got to play an extra game. Like any player, any coach is like, no, give me the top six because I want to start my conference tournament in the quarterfinals and only have to deal with one, two, three games before I win the Big 12 tournament where depending on in all, it depends on what happens in these final four, but could it benefit them to say, hey, we could get an extra game whether that's against, because right now they would play the 8-9, they would play a team like Oklahoma State. Or if they went ahead and, I don't know, actually scratch that dumb question. The reason why is, and I didn't realize this and I'm realizing it now, you know what puts my question all at moot? You want to know who they would play no matter where they were in the bottom four? They win that game, you get either Kansas or Texas Tech. You get either one of those. Could that, though, benefit them if they can upset one of those teams? Maybe, hey, if we're in the Final Four, it could benefit us because then if we play them in the second round and we beat a Texas Tech, we beat a Kansas, that would be better than, let's say, beating an Oklahoma or beating a Baylor or beating a TCU. I'll flip the question that way to try to save it, but it's not saved. I can tell it's not saved because you're just going to want to finish in the top six. Yeah, I mean, I I think that... Yeah, that would be good if you're able to if you're able to beat one of those teams. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's going to be beneficial for you. Um, and and the way that that Texas is looking right now, if they could win, if they could, I mean, if they if they could win these next four games, mm-hmm. I don't see them winning every single one of these games. No. I, I see them winning two, maybe three games. Um, they could it could land them in in the uh, top six, possibly. Depending on what Oklahoma and TCU do, the the way mm-hmm. that Oklahoma's going right now, Texas could certainly bump Oklahoma to be seven. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I mean it's always going to be beneficial for you um, as a team if you're able to beat one of your rivals and one of the best teams in your conference, because especially at that time, especially conference tournament time, mm-hmm. when people are all watching. I mean, not to say that people aren't watching now; it's regular season. But when it comes to tournament time. All of a sudden, all the people who don't watch college basketball throughout the regular season, and then, of course, the committee who's always watching, that's the time when they're looking at this as 
These are crucial, pivotal games. If you're able to win one of those, if you're Texas, and you knock off a Kansas, you knock off a Texas Tech, mm-hmm. and you keep rolling in the in your tournament, the Big 12 tournament, yeah, now you've got a lot of eyes on you. Now you've already done something. Now you've done something special, and it's it's helping to pave a road for you for the NCAA tournament. Well, and the thing that I'm looking at right now is the teams ahead of them. And before I say that what they're going to play, I got a question for you. ESPN standings, I'm looking at it, and they've got the Sooners over Texas, and I'm a little confused there because yeah, Texas is 16 and 11 compared to Oklahoma 16 and 10. But they both have the same conference record, and Texas has beat Oklahoma twice. Shouldn't Texas have the tiebreaker? You Should would, they beat it twice? Like you that's would, what I'm thinking. You would think, unless ESPN is wrong, Going which they, off of the which they happen to be. I'm assuming um, they're wrong but, because usually people go off of head to heads for the first tiebreaker. But that point being moot, the thing that is also important is the two teams ahead of them, as you mentioned, Oklahoma. Their next four games. At Kansas, so they play a similar opponent in Texas. And that's tonight. That's tonight. They play um, K-State at home on the 24th. They go at Baylor, and then they play Senior Day at home against Iowa State, a team that they lost to by eight points in Ames earlier in the year. And then TCU, they've got that same Iowa State team in Ames. They've got Baylor at home. They've got K-State at home. And then they end the year in Texas Tech on Texas Tech and the Red Raiders for their senior day in Lubbock, Texas, I believe mm-hmm. it is. Yep. Um, so you got each of them where I would say out of the three teams, Texas may have the hardest one only on, only on the fact that you're playing two ranked teams and one of those ranked teams and like, yet yeah, Kansas is a similar opponent. So like, you can look at it, us, the stat junkies here, not playing basketball. We could look at it to where it's like, all right, if Oklahoma loses tonight and we lose against Kansas, then that's a wash, whatever. We can throw that game out the window. However, that next-ranked team that you're playing is no pushover. Like They are one of the best defensive teams in the nation, and I feel like if Texas is going to want to make the tournament— They've got to beat either Kansas or West Virginia. They got to make a statement in one of those two final games. They have to. I mean, they absolutely have to. And I, th- I would agree with you. I think Texas has the tougher, the tougher road in these next four games, especially with Kansas and West Virginia going back to back to end the season. And we saw a a really good game uh, against Kansas and West Virginia this past weekend on Saturday, where. Kansas ultimately ended up winning that one. And then Kansas, they have another uh, big showdown this next weekend on Saturday where Kansas heads to Texas Tech to take on the Red Raiders. So it's it's going to be some really fun and exciting basketball here in the Big 12. But I do think that if Texas is able to win two of these games, I really do believe that they have a good shot at getting into the NCAA tournament. Okay, Brandon, we're going to play our favorite game. We didn't do them as videos this year, but I'm going to do it right now for you. You ready? Yeah. I am going to, you're going to the contestant. I'm the show host. We're going to play some blind resumes, and I have two teams here for you, and I want you to tell me who you would pick for the tournament. So Team A, they are a team that is 16 and 11. They are 6 and 8 in their conference. They have a record against the RP or the 
top 50 of 6 and 9. Top 100 or 50 between 51 and 100, they're 2 and 1. So 6 and 9 against the top 50, I would say 8 and 10 against the top 100. Team B, 19 and 8 overall, 10 and 5 in their conference. They are 5 and 4 against the top 50, and they would be 8 and 7 against the top 100. The teams outside of the top 100, so 101 through 20, team A is 5 and 1, team B is 7 and 1. Who would you go with off of that? This is also team A has a strength of schedule of 16, whereas team B has a strength of schedule of 66, and the RPI for team A is 58.1, team B is 58.3. Who are you going with? I think I'm going with Team B. Team B, you chose. Do you want to know who you chose or you didn't choose? Um, I'm assuming I didn't choose Texas. You didn't choose Texas. You chose the UCLA Bruins, which are the very first team, if I'm looking at Joe Lenardi's bracketology, oh, the first four out. they are the first team listed for the first out. You chose UCLA. I want to, I want to do another team, and I'm only going to tell you the team that I'd put up against Texas. And since you know Texas is going to be in here, this could people are going to say, well, it's not a great experiment anymore. <laughs> if I could find the team, though, because it's not on here, um, unless they put it under... But see, Ricky, that's one of the things, though, that I think is interesting, is that Texas, if they, if they scuffle mm-hmm. here on their last four games, and UCLA does not... Mm-hmm. UCLA jumps into the first four or the last four in, and Texas puts themselves on the first four out. Here's so a, it's it's one of those things where those teams on both sides, mm-hmm. they all want to be playing well because their in or out really depends on it. So you already know Texas's stuff because they're going to stay as Team A. Yeah. The new Team B. This new Team B has a record of 19-9. and nine. They are 10-5 and five within their conference. They have a... Worst strength of schedule than Texas. Texas at 16. The This team B is at a 50. The RPI for Texas is 58.1. The RPI for this new team is 58.7. In the top 50, this new team is 3-6. and six. Against the top 100, they would be 8-8. Eight and eight. Who would you go with, Texas or the mystery challenger? I think I'm still going with the mystery challenger. USC Trojans. Southern California. The next team on Joe Lenardi <laughs> that would be just out of the bracket. And, like, that's my little case in point here is there are teams chomping at the bit. If I could, if I was continuing to go down, Washington's chomping at the bit. A team like Nebraska, they've been playing very well so far, getting some big wins to where Texas has to be – I don't want to say if you're a Texas fan, you have to be worried about these next four games. But even if you go two and two and then go one and done in the uh, Big 12 Conference Tournament, there's a good chance that a two and two in the final eight and a one and done might not even be enough to get you into the tournament. Although you're technically in it if the tournament started tonight. But I will say for anyone who's saying, Brandon, I, you know, how are you continuing to pick against Texas? I mean, they've, they've, 
yeah, they may not be as good record-wise as some of these other teams, but Texas has the better strength of schedule. They're probably mm-hmm. playing the better teams. They're right. They're right in those terms. Knowing that Texas lost to a number 1 Duke at the time, a number 17 Gonzaga at the time, a Michigan team who they lost to by 7, which is now a ranked team, mm-hmm. that's all obviously outside of their conference. They've played well against them. They've all been close games. An 85-78 loss with Duke, 76-71 with Gonzaga, and 59-52 with Michigan. Those were all close games. Yes, I understand. They did not win them. But I think, too, it's it's more than just saying this team is 6-9 within the, you know, the, the top 50 or within the top 100. Mm-hmm. Who did they play? Who did they play? You know, there's... There's a lot of teams, you know, within the top 50 that it, it, it's, you know, on on wide spectrums. You know, the one the one team is way over here, 50 is way over here, but they're in the top 50. So I I think it's you almost need to know who did they play, how did the game go. Yeah, I get it, they lost, but were they competitive? Was it a blowout? You know, did they have all of their players? Were mm-hmm. they fully healthy? You know, this, that, and the other thing. Those are all the things that I think need to be taken into perspective instead of just this was the number 17 team. They're in the top 50. They have a loss against a top 50 team. 0-1. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. much, In my opinion, it's much more. It's much more than just looking at a number, looking at a stat. You have to dive inside the number, inside the stat, mm-hmm. and really fully understand the team, where they were at, where the other team was at, and where those teams are today. Here's what I'm going to ask you on the segment before we kind of move this into a broader March Madness topic. If you were to say right now, with four games left, conference tournament to go, look into your crystal ball. Will Texas make the tournament? Plain and simple. Will they make March Madness? Yes, I think they can, and I think they will. Um, I I think that Shaka Smart is going to will them to do it. Mm -hmm. And Texas right now, they were in a bit of a rut. They beat Oklahoma on the road. I think that that win, even though where Oklahoma is right now, I know that they were ranked 23 at the time. Oklahoma is going to be outside of the top 25 in the next ranking. I, I, they, they're going to be. Um, but I, I, I feel that Texas, that's what they needed. They now are going on the road to play K-State on Wednesday. This team can do it. They know they can do it. They know, I think, that they pretty much control their own destiny with what they do knowing that if they if they win the games that they should be winning here, they have a very real shot at the NCAA tournament. I think the Longhorns will do it. Well, I've looked into my crystal ball. No, Texas ain't making the tournament. And the reason why is how I see this going down. They'll win against K-State. They'll win against Oklahoma State. They're feeling good three in a row. Oh, my God, we finally have a win streak. Spanked by Texas, or spanked by Kansas. Spanked by Press Virginia. You go two and two in that final. Then you go one and done in the conference tournament. And the thing that I think will be the undoing is I think a UCLA, a USC, a Nebraska team, one of those teams is going to do something, whether it's in the conference tournament, whether it's win the rest of their last games. One of those teams will sneak into that final four, and Texas will be sitting there on Selection Sunday, praying that they get in, but the bubble will pop on them, and they will not be 
in the tournament or March Madness. But this well, is I'm where... Gonna, well, we're not turning it on to okay. him yet. So here's the thing, is that Kansas, mm-hmm. when they played them last, scored 92 points against them. This when, is Kansas? When, when, when Texas played Kansas okay. last... Kansas scored 92 points. When Texas played West Virginia last, West Virginia scored 86 points. Mm-hmm. Texas is, on average, allowing 67 points per game. Mm-hmm. If they can hold those two teams to around their game average that mm-hmm. they give up, they're scoring 72 points, Texas is. And if they can score around 70 or so, they can win the ball game. But they've got to show up. They've got to play defense. That's what they have not been able to do mm-hmm. against those two good teams. That's what they have not been able to do against many of the teams they've lost to. They have you you can tell why they've lost because they've given up way more points than on average mm-hmm. they've given up during the season. Texas for them it's going to be really two things. Mo Bamba, how can he take control of the game in two defense? If they can do both of those things and both of those things happen for him, that's going to spell victories against Kansas, who's been an up and down. I don't give a darn that they're in ranked number eight right now. Patrick, they've, your ears. they've been an up and down team, and West Virginia certainly has been an up and down team. The Texas Longhorns can do it. It's just a matter of will they. Well, and the thing that they're going to need defense, especially against a team I've been calling Press Virginia this entire segment, because the defense will be brought to town by the Mountaineers for that last game. But now it's turning to you guys, Brandon. Got what he wanted to get in there. We'll turn it on to you. Let us know what you guys think down below. Will Texas make the national tournament? What will they do to get there? Do you see them winning three, winning four, winning only two? How do you see them playing in the conference tournament? Let us know what you guys think down below. But, Brandon, let's move on into our next topic. And we are staying in the world of March Madness, staying in the world of the tournament, which I believe we're... What three weeks away from Selection Sunday? I believe or the eleventh of March. March. So let me look at my calendar really quick. Sorry for my audio listeners. That dude, that would be three weeks from yesterday. We have the twenty fifth is one, the fourth is the next, the eleventh is after that. So we are under a month away from Selection Sunday. And what we're going to talk about is March Madness. Who's going to be this year's Cinderella? And this is a topic that you brought to the table. I want to throw it to you first, just to. Set the parameters for us. What are the rules when we're talking about Cinderella? Could it be a team that's from a Power Five? Does it have to be a team that's not from the Power Five? What are you thinking about here when we use the term Cinderella? So when I think of Cinderella, I'm thinking of a team that's not necessarily from your your Power Fives. It's not from your Big Ten, Big mm-hmm. Twelve, Big East, you know, stuff like that. A team that's Hmm. That that people are looking at or not necessarily looking at, um, and then they kind of come on the scene and they go, okay, okay, this team's doing some pretty good things. Not from your typical everyday uh, schools that you're hearing about. Your your you know your Kansas, your Texas, you know you know those teams. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where I look at it from. So give me this. You're gonna start it off. Who's one of the first teams? Because I know you probably have a few. I'll ask you this. Who's going to be this year's Cinderella? Give me your first one. Uh, well, one of them that is playing really well right now and just had a big win um, a couple of games ago, the Houston Cougars from okay. the American. Um, with what they're doing and how they're playing, I, I think that they're they're playing really well. They've won five in a row. They have, a I think, a really good chance to win their next four and win nine in a row to end the season and a possible chance to win the American and 
take over, you know, the spot from Cincinnati, who I think right now sits at number five in the mm-hmm. nation in terms of the rankings. Cincinnati twelve and two in the conference. Houston eleven and three. This is a Houston team. They've got three guys scoring in double figures and a, a team that's kind of I don't want to say has come from nowhere, but has quietly crept up. They they got a win against Wichita State. They were able to get a win, like I said, against Cincinnati last week, a really hard-fought win mm-hmm. and a really good win for the Houston Cougars to put them actually into the top 25 and I think put them on the radar. But I still think a chance that they are uh, a, a Cinderella-type team as it, right now in Joe Lenardi's uh, bracketology, a number 9 seed in the tournament. I love where they are on his bracketology, and the reason why I love it is you get to me virtually you get the weakest number in eh, the we- the weakest number one um with Kansas being there so you get a number one seed you can beat then you get if top seeds move on then you're playing either the Zags or Arizona's Arizona could be tough Zags are tough but they could possibly get through them then in the what would that be the elite eight you're playing either Kentucky or North Carolina and anything can happen with those two teams this year before you're playing virtually the only team that could possibly stop their Cinderella run, Michigan State. Or you upset them. This is probably, if this bracket ends up being true, which Joe Lenardi is pretty spot on when it comes to knowing what the committee is thinking, this could be a good setup for them to maybe make it to the Final Four. I wouldn't put my money on Houston making it to the Final Four, but they could be a team that makes it to the Final Four. I'm going to take your Houston, and I'm going to raise you a Bonnie. I'm I'm going to go 810. I'm raising you a Bonnie. I got the St. Bonaventure Bonnies as my number one Cinderella, where you might be thinking, well, Ricky, why do I know this team like the Bonnies? They They were, I want to say a couple years ago, won their conference tournament in shocking fashion to make the March Madness tournament. But right now, 20 and 6 overall. And I know that they're like, they're not playing the toughest of opponents. The only power fives that they've played, they beat Maryland on neutral court, lost to TCU. They beat Syracuse in overtime. But this team, besides for maybe a five-game stretch between January 3rd and January 19th, where they went 1-5 with their only win being against Fordham in that one, this has been a team that's been on a roll. They just beat number 16 Rhode Island to go 10 and 4. They are 20 and 6 right now and I look at where they are in bracketology right now. They are one of the last four in, but if this could be a team that ends strong, go to their A10 um championship, win their conference tournament, maybe even win the regular season crown as well. This could be a team that could play themselves into an actual tournament spot and not have to play in that first play-in game scenario. You know, I think that when I looked at the at Saint Saint Bonaventure, that's that that is that's one of the teams that certainly most people are not mm-hmm. looking at, but have had themselves actually a pretty good season this year. And I know, like you said, they're not necessarily playing the toughest of opponents in, in terms of when you think about what a, a, you know a Big Ten opponent's playing and who a Big Ten opponent's playing and mm-hmm. ACC and everything like that. But St. Bonaventure, certainly, they're one of those teams, especially in the spots that they're at, predicted on uh, Joe Lenardi's bracketology, in one of those kind of, uh, uh, not I don't want to say tricky, but in one of those... 
uh, could be tough mm-hmm. type of opponents, especially in the spot that they're at. Well, and the thing that I like about them, let's say they are where Joe Lenardi has them. Baylor is a team that they can beat in their first round game. Who's the number six seed that they would get in Nashville? A team that hasn't been too hot this year in Kentucky. A team that I could see the Bonnies going up against and beating before maybe going on against a North Carolina, which would be a little bit of a tougher opponent. So both you and I, it's weird that we both chose teams from that Joe Lenardi West region right now. Who's another team you're thinking about could be a Cinderella this year? Well, actually, another one of the ones I was thinking was the team that's slated to go against Houston right now, Nevada. Nevada? Yeah, and I, I, you know, looking at them and looking at what they've done this season, they've had a pretty strong year. And two teams that they played against, they played on the road at Texas Tech. They lost 82-76, kept mm-hmm. it close the entire game. The very next game, they played at the time number 20 TCU. They lose, but keep it close, 84-80. This is a team that has played pretty darn well in the games that were supposed to be tougher opponents. They didn't win, but they kept it close. They stayed in the ball game. That is dangerous. That is dangerous because when it comes tournament time, a team like Nevada, they are playing a team like that. They'll get you. Mm-hmm. They'll get you just based off of sheer um, adrenaline. They'll get you. Uh, so it's 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 one of those where – Right now, regular season, they weren't able to do it. Come back and, and get a team like that in the in the NCAA tournament, they can sneak up on you. Well, and those 8-9 seeds are always one that is kind of interesting to me because usually they don't beat the number one seed. But, hey, those 8-9 teams, we know it from calling and trying to guess each time who's going to win these games, but 8-9 is a flip of the coin. Flip the coin, you'll have a better chance of guessing it right than you would guessing it on your own. But also, they could go up against that, again, going up against a weaker number one and could top off the Kansas Jayhawks. I'm going to raise you yet again, and this is one that I think you're going to like. You ready for it? Yeah. This is a team that has been to the national tournament twice already. They went two years ago. They beat a Big Ten team, then lost to, I want to say, an ACC team. Then they go to the tournament last year. They beat a Big Ten team. Then they lose to a, I want to say, a Big East team. I'm going with the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders. And the reason why I'm going with them is they have been in the tournament twice already, last two years. They beat Michigan State two years ago, lost to Syracuse. That Syracuse team that, let's be honest, that team was on a roll. We actually, I believe that was the year we got to see that team play in the Sweet 16 at the UC. That was a very, very special team. That was the year that they, I want to say, beat Gonzaga in that Sweet 16 game. Do not hold me to that. I'll have to double-check it. But this is a team knows what it's like to be in the tournament. They've been one and done the last two years What's going to happen this year? Could this be the year they crack it to get to that second weekend? And right now, we're basing it off of Joe Lenardi's bracket. Guess who they're matched up against in that first-round game in the, uh, in I want to say, the South region? No, in the East region. Oklahoma. Oklahoma, a team that right now is on the, what I like to call, the downcline. They're on a little bit of a downcline right now. 
beat that team, then you move on. You're playing either Cincinnati or Ryder. Cincinnati, a tough team, but can you match up? Can you beat them? Then you move on. You're either playing Duke or Missouri if we're going top teams. But, however, Winthrop has been here. I want to ask you this. This is off-the-cuff question. Winthrop's a team right now. Let me get their record down right because I want to put some respect on that name. But you got a team like Winthrop in the Big South, 12 and 4, 18 and 9 overall. They are slotted at a 15 playing Duke. Is this going to be the traditional 15 over a 2 that Duke likes to give up every every so often? They like to just lose to a 15 just to let you know they can do it. <laughs> uh you know, I don't I don't know about that. I, I I think that if if Duke is coming to play at its very best the way that it did against Michigan State way back at the beginning of the season when we had the State Farm uh, championship classic mm-hmm. that you and I saw along with along with Dave. I I don't think that that happens to Duke. But if Marvin Bagley is not right with his knee, very if different. They, Duke if they team. don't if they don't have him, if they don't have the depth from the bench, if if Grayson Allen is not on his game, watch out. Then yes. Duke could be upset. But right now, my first reaction would be, no, Duke's going to be fine. And for those people that are like Ricky, they don't do it every so often. Well, the years that I'm referring to are 2014 when they lost to Mercer. I'm sorry, that was a 14 over a 3. And then Lehigh that had C.J. McCollum, that was a 15 over a 2. What was that? That was the, that was two years before that. That was 2012. So my senior year of college, your freshman year of college, Lehigh beats Duke by five points. Two years later, Mercer beats them. However, you want to know something funny? When they lose in the first round to a team like that, when they lost to Lehigh the next year, go to the regional final. Mm-hmm. The next year, when they lose to Mercer, just win the national championship over Wisconsin. Yeah. So usually they get, it works they out get for angry. Duke. They get angry. Usually it works out for them when they lose to a higher higher seated team. Well, higher seated meaning the higher number. What's another team you're looking at to be a Cinderella? If you got another one there for me, another one I'm looking at. How about NC State? Okay. How okay. about NC State? You hit, with, me, you hit me with the Power 5 team, but I'm liking it because I, now I can give my Power 5 the, team. The, I like the, it. The reason why I was thinking that is mm-hmm. because, yes, they're Power 5, but they're not one of the oh-so-talked-about Power 5s. Mm-hmm. And the reason, because we had already gone back and forth on a couple of non-Power 5s, so I thought I'd slip a Power 5 in there. But NC State sitting at an 11 in the South. Mm-hmm. And right now that they would go up against Texas A&M, I could see NC State winning that game. NC State has had one of those seasons where it's been kind of an up and a down, up and a down. You, you beat North Carolina, and then you come out and you can't win another couple of games. You lose to Clemson by a lot. You get blown out on the road at Notre Dame. But then you beat Duke, and then you beat Clemson, then you lose to Virginia, uh, you lose to Miami, but then you you win against Pitt, North Carolina, no- Notre Dame again. Then you lose a couple. Then you win a couple. They've been very, just to let you guys all know, reason why I read that all off, they've been truly up and down, up and down. Win three, lose two, mm-hmm. lose three, win three. You know, it's that's the kind of season that they've had. But they have beat Duke. They have beat Clemson. They have beat North Carolina. This is a team that I think you get them in the tournament 
they can be pretty scary, especially at the spot that they'll be at. Because right now, for for me, a Texas A&M versus an NC State, I'm not scared by Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. I'm really not. I'm glad you said NC State because I'm going to take your NC State. You're going to raise me another one. I'm going to raise one. you again. How about some Cornhuskers? How about some Nebraska? This is a team that you might be sitting there going, Ricky, they're a top five team in the Big Ten. Get out of here with Cinderella. But as I hit the button, I got so excited I hit the off button on the board where this is a team that, yeah, they're top five in the Big Ten. They're 20 and nine this year, 11 and five in the conference. Not in Joe Lenardi's bracket right now. They are, I believe, the fourth team out. You have UCLA, USC, Washington, Nebraska. Not in the tournament right now. Their final two games are against Indiana at home. Then they got Penn State at home. Final two games for Michigan, who's tied with them. They go at Penn State. Could be a loss. They go at Maryland. Will probably be a win for them. And the thing that will be interesting with those two teams, they're tied 4-5. Here's the implication on that. If the conference tournament started today, Nebraska would be the five. That would mean they would not start day one. The tournament would start day one with its two games. Then they would play on day two. Well, if you go up to four, you move ahead of Michigan. Then you're not playing until day three, and you only have to win three games to win that Big Ten tournament crown. This is a team that I believe... Let's say they do go five. Let's say they go five. They would have to play the winner of the 12-13 matchup, which would be either the Fighting Illini or the Scarlet Knights. Are you gonna I'm looking at the camera for my audio listeners. Are you gonna take either the Fighting Illini or the Scarlet Knights to beat the Cornhuskers? I'm an Illini fan and I wouldn't do that. Then in the next game when you win. Yeah, when you win. You'll play number four, which would be Michigan. Tough game. Then if you win, you'll probably play, unless they get upset, you'll play the number one team, which would be Michigan State. I believe the Cornhuskers can give Michigan State a run for their money, and that would be a huge win. They could be positioned to have big wins over a ranked team like Michigan, if they're five. Ranked team like Michigan. Ranked team like Michigan State then maybe even Ohio State and Purdue. They would have to run the gauntlet, but they could be a team that could do it to then carry that momentum into the tournament and just shock the world. Ricky, I'm going to ask you a question, and I know where they sit in terms of Mm -hmm. Joe Lenardi. Can, is it possible, can Penn State make a run, run the table, and get to... The tournament and and maybe even have a little bit of the magic that Northwestern saw last season. Yes, no, they can't. And the reason why is with this is a team that we've seen beat Ohio State. They only lose to like they almost shocked the world this past week. They beat last Sunday on the 18th or the 15th. They go ahead and beat Ohio State. Like what the hell? Like. We're recording the fast break, and Sean's been saying, uh, like, oh, yeah, Ohio State's a better team this year when we were talking about one of their prospects at the end of our podcast. And I looked, and I was like, Penn State beat them? Penn State they beat Ohio State? They didn't just beat them. They throttled them. A 79-56 to 56 throttled them, and that, but that was at home at Penn State. Then you go into Purdue, into West Lafayette, you only lose by three. 
That's a quality loss to me. That is a quality loss against a top 10 team. Penn State, they play one against Nebraska, like I said. They also play this upcoming Wednesday a Michigan team. So the day this is posting on YouTube, this team will be playing Michigan at home. They get a win over Michigan, then barring what they do against Nebraska. I'm only going to use the standings as they are right now. Penn State is, I talked about that Nebraska team being the fifth team. Penn State would be the sixth team. So that means they would have to play the winner of the 11-12 and 12 game. That would be the winner of Iowa and Minnesota. They're going to beat either one of those two teams, I believe. They move on to the next game. Then they play the three seed, which right now would be Ohio State. Oh, guess what? They just beat them. Move on to the next game, a possible meeting with Purdue. Oh, wait, guess what? We only lost by three. I know I can beat you. I know in my head that I can beat you because it was so close. I let you get away that. Basically, it's I let you get away that last time. Now I'm going to beat you when it counts. You move on. You play in the championship. Anything can happen in that championship. But even if you lose that championship game against the Michigan State, you just beat Purdue. You just beat the Ohio State Buckeyes again, you're in the tournament at that point, and then they get you in the door to make a Northwestern type of run. So, yeah, I think that Penn State could make that run this year. They just got to make the tournament. They got to have a good conference tournament, and maybe a win against Michigan would help too. I'd almost like to see it. Um, you know, when we were talking about this a while back, we actually talked about it with Matt, mm-hmm. I believe, of how many teams from the Big Ten we thought we were going to get in because the Big mm-hmm. Ten was down a little bit this year. Three, maybe four, I think is what we were thinking at the time. Where was Nebraska and Penn State all season long? I mean, mm-hmm. if they would have been playing the way that they were playing right now, we'd be looking at five, six teams from the Big Ten. But they're starting to come on now, and even still, it's going to be really interesting because Penn State's last game is against Nebraska. Yeah, no, that is. And that's going to be a big head-to-head when it comes to what's going to happen with those, because I was quickly trying to find when we talked about that with Matt, because I remember talking about that. And the one thing I want to look at, and I'm actually going to look at it while you talk next, is what what have these two teams done since then? Because for both Nebraska and Penn State, like I'm looking at Penn State right now, they were a team that was three and five in conference. On January 20th. Since then, they have won, what would that be? Six, six and games two. and lost two. They went six and two since the 20th of January. If I go ahead and look at Nebraska, they were a team that as of January 12th, so similar, they had just lost a game to Penn State. They're three and three in the conference, only 12 and seven overall. Since then, they have gone, if my math serves me correct, eight and two in those last ones. They have gone eight and two with their only losses being to Ohio State and Illinois. But I mean, Illinois's got to win one sooner or later. They're just not going to win one in the conference well, tournament. One of the things I look at for Penn State here is in their in their last bunch of games, mm-hmm. they have they swept Ohio State during the regular season. They beat Ohio State on the road. 82-79 when Ohio State was the 13th ranked team. Then they beat Rutgers. Then they lose to Michigan State 76-68 in a close game. Then you beat Iowa, Maryland, Illinois, Ohio State again with a blowout 
and then lose just by three to Purdue. This Penn State team right now, watch out. If I'm Michigan, I don't want to be playing them right now. If I'm Nebraska, I don't want to be playing them right now. And you're Nebraska at home playing against Mm -hmm. Penn State. So that's uh, the reason, again, I know that we started this off kind of saying, no, we didn't want to look at the, um, you know, the like Big Ten ACC I was stuff ho- like that. I was hoping but, you'd get into it because I wanted but, to mention Nebraska but, something fierce. <laughs> but but we're talking about some of the teams that are mm-hmm. very much, very much bubble or yeah. even off the bubble right now a little bit in the other way. Penn State really, I think, I think Penn State has a better chance than Nebraska does, even though Nebraska's ahead of them. I think Penn State's been playing better basketball and has a has a real chance to end the season. If they beat Michigan and they beat Nebraska, to me, Penn State is in. Just for a little reference point, we recorded that Big Ten segment on January 22nd. The Nittany Lions, at the moment we recorded that podcast, were 3-5 and five after two straight losses to Minnesota and Northwestern. They're now... Nine and seven in the conference. The Cornhuskers, two day that exact night they played Ohio State and lost. But at the time of recording it, I'm not going to count that because it didn't happen while we were recording it. While recording it, they were five and three. Now they're eleven and five. So I mean, the exact two moments that I used, that was the exact moment we recorded that segment. And it was like, what's wrong with the Big Ten? Yada yada yeah. yada. And now these teams run the Penn table. Penn State and Nebraska, they were obviously mm-hmm. watching and listening to us. Oh, no, they were. They were. It's just like uh, Ty Lue listened to the fast break when he made his comments about uh, having LeBron and the players coach the team because he's like, ah, they all say that enough anyways. And Sean texted Dave and I go, see? See, he listens to the podcast. <laughs> Ty Lue listens every week because I am uh, one of those people that says LeBron uh, coaches that team and Ty Lue doesn't do anything. But before we wrap it up and go into the NFL draft, any final thoughts on any Cinderellas that you're like, ah, I wanted to throw this team out there, but you didn't give me the chance? Not right now. I, 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 it's exciting, though, though, to talk about it because we're mm-hmm. getting so close to when that's going to be happening, where we're going to be seeing who each team is, everyone locked up in a couple of weeks, and then we'll be able to talk about, okay, who do we think is going to run the table in the tournament. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. What are some Cinderella's you're looking at? Maybe some teams that we didn't look at. What do you think of our Cinderella's? Let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. But Brandon, let's close out the podcast moving into the world of football and looking at the NFL draft. And this is a topic that, believe it or not, you and I have talked about this exact thing before. Do you remember talking about this? About Josh Allen being the number one overall pick. Mm-hmm. And I remember what I said last time, too. Do you remember the exact date that we recorded it? Nope. It was nine months ago. The exact date that we recorded this podcast was wow. May 9th, wow. 2017. We asked the question, could Josh Allen be the number one overall pick? Wow, was it that long it ago? It was that long. That was when the hype train was high for Josh Allen. However, the hype train is high for one said Mel Kuyper, because the reason why we are talking about this again is Mel Kuyper came out with his big board today. Our next big board, pitching that because MVP's big board is the only one that counts, is March 5th. We're going to have double big board week. That's our NBA, NFL, double big board dropping in the same week. Should be a lot of fun two weeks from now, but the reason why we're talking about this now is Mr. Kuyper, Mr. Kuyper Jr., has Josh Allen as the number one ranked quarterback in his quarterback rankings out of 10. He has him the highest quarterback ranked at five overall 
right above Sam Darnold, who is at six, Josh Rosen, who is at seven, and Baker Mayfield, who is at ten. So because of this, I'm a I'm basically throwing out there Browns need a quarterback. We assume they'll take the it, unless they get Kirk Cousins. Like unless you said, they get Cousins, anything can happen. The same week we drop the big board is the same week free agency is going to get hot and heavy in the NFL. But let's say they don't have Cousins because he's not on the roster right now as we're recording this. If the Browns take the best quarterback, according to Mr. Kuiper, that would be Josh Allen. I'll ask you, should Josh Allen, we're not saying could anymore, should he be the number one overall pick to the Cleveland Browns? This is without Cousins? This is without. This is right now without Cousins. Yeah, I think I'd say so. Really? Why? I think I'd say so. Well, I want to. I want to first read off a, a quick quote here. Um, and the quote is: I, "I believe Cleveland GM John Dorsey will block block out the noise and take the best guy in Allen, and the Browns will be good very soon." End quote. That's from an unnamed executive that mm-hmm. uh, talked to the Cleveland Plain Dealer. So. Allen is most likely the the most polarizing player in the 2018 draft class. Arm strength similar to John Elway. Similar build to Carson Wentz. And we saw what Carson Wentz was able to do this Mm -hmm. past season. And he's a guy that pretty much, you know, has, in terms of anything else, a very clean blank slate. You know, there's nothing really behind him. There's no... Oh, he did this. Oh, he did that. Oh, there was this talk of is he really serious about football? Or there, is there this talk that, you know, he's he, he kind of, you know, isn't, you know, a great teammate or this or that or the other? You don't really have that. You don't do not have that with Josh Allen. I think that that's all those things together make him the best choice at quarterback in the upcoming draft. Well, and I'm glad you, well, not, I'm glad, but I'm also find it funny that you brought Carson Wentz into the discussion because the first thing I did was I went back to, because Mark and I, when did we talk about this? We posted it February 1st. So beginning of the month, we talked about the best fits for Josh Allen. Or, yeah, for Josh Allen. I almost want to say Jeff Allen. That's because the comment term I'm about to say is Jeff Levine. And Mr. Levine says... Is he the next Wentz? I look at that and it's like, are we only saying that because he's a small school quarterback and Wentz was also a small school quarterback, although I'd say that North Dakota State is smaller than Wyoming is. Are we only comparing him to Carson Wentz because of the small school comparison, the non-Power 5 comparison? Is that the only reason why people are using Wentz to describe Josh Allen when it comes to draft position. No. I I don't think so. I don't think that they're they're comparing him to Wentz because of that. I think they're mm-hmm. comparing him to Wentz because he has a similar build and a similar look to what Carson Wentz was. But a lot of people have said and I could see this is with Allen being let's see where is he at here. Oh, come on. I I lost it. But I, nope. Now I got about 65233. Mm-hmm. It's a big dude, like well, Big Ben Roethlisberger. I'm glad so you said that. I, I, You're I think my that mind. I think that that's that's if you look at Big Ben and you look mm-hmm. at the career that Big Ben has had, he's been very successful. He's put up a lot of good stats, and that's not necessarily to say that stats are the only thing. He's also won, mm-hmm. um, and 
they've been they've the the Steelers under Big Ben have mm-hmm. won a lot of games, have won a lot of um AFC North titles. They've also won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They've been to the Super Bowl. They have been successful and it's been under his leadership. That's a quarterback that again, too, he's been pretty healthy for most of his career. In terms of he's stayed in the games and he has played in the games. He's actually gotten hurt quite a bit, but Mm. he does not let that affect him. He keeps on going. If Josh Allen is able to, well, hopefully stays healthy, but is able to lead a team the way that Big Ben has led a team, that's going to be successful for Allen. If teams look at who are looking to draft and they look at what Big Ben has done, they look at what Allen, how Allen is similar to that in terms of his build and his look there. Mm-hmm. And it's and in terms of an you know, when people compare his arm to that of John Elway's, you look at a guy who is really very good and a guy that you want on your team. And when people are saying if you go with Allen, the Cleveland Browns are going to be very good for a very long time, those are all things why would you not? want to take him at number one well and the thing for me is i'm going back to my notes and when i was watching and dove into alan's film the things i saw is strength his size he's prototypical like that's his size where um the one i'm looking at nfl.com they have him as 6'5 233 we'll get exact measurements of arm length hand size how big his foot is how big his nose is, whatever they measure at the combine, because it seems like they measure everything at the combine. Um, right now we have 6'5", 233 on NFL.com. I had his size, which to me is prototypical. His arm strength is amazing. He's mobile. He's a good athlete. Only weaknesses, he makes boneheaded decisions, and his accuracy is god-awful sometimes. Like, his accuracy, th- there's a reason why he's only completed 56% of his passes as his high, uh, that's the highest he's ever completed in a season. However, when I watched him, I totally agree with guys. I'm throwing in a comment here from Jason Gallegos. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jason. He says, Josh Allen could potentially be the Browns version of Ben Roethlisberger. He plays in bad weather and has the arm strength to complete or to compete in the brutal AFC North. When I watched him play, I was like, shit, he kind of looks like Big Ben. He kind of looks like a skinnier Big like skinnier Big Ben. Put on some muscle and you could basically be Big Ben because he's just as tall as Ben. Well, I wanted to go back to what you had said in terms of his mobility. Mm-hmm. Talk about a mobile quarterback. There have been some things, and when you watch this kid on film, what he's been able to do to help create a play for his receivers he's Mm -hmm. created a play he's created time um, for his receivers to get open where he takes the snap he runs in then comes back then rolls out to the right then points down the field for Mm -hmm. where his receiver needs to go throws it and throws a strike into the end zone that is great pocket awareness that is great vision by a quarterback. That's great playmaking skills by a quarterback. And that's something that Allen is certainly able to do. One of the things that I loved coming from Mel Kuyper is that, a quote, you've got to look beyond the stats. Stats are for losers, in mm-hmm. my opinion. End quote. I love that. I think that's hilariously awesome because, in a sense, he's right. Mm-hmm. That's great. There's a lot of people you know that have a lot of great stats 
How much winning do they do? Well, and 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 as Kuiper points out, mm-hmm. you have to remember that Allen didn't have wonderful talent around him. And he didn't was, play in the best conditions. But I would go back to that talent. He didn't have the the mm-hmm. greatest talent around him. But then someone might say, well, if he goes to Cleveland Browns, he's not going. Yes, he will. He will have the talent around him. You have now a year under David and Joku's belt. You have. Uh, a Josh Gordon, who mm-hmm. hopefully is is getting things straight and everything like that. You've got a Corey Coleman if he can stay healthy. You've got weapons in Cleveland there, mm-hmm. so Allen would certainly have people to throw to if he went to the Cleveland Browns. Well, and the thing that I think about is I'm looking at the NFL profile right now, and they brought up a great point that I didn't even think of is because the thing I was going to ask you when you brought up the quote about the not looking at the stats. It's funny that you say that because the one stat that everyone throws out there, and I just threw it out there, is the completion percentage. That he's never thrown for more than 56% in either of his seasons as a starter. And they even say here, like, that you don't see that as in a starting quarterback in the pros. Like, the, the completion percentage that we look for is 60%. You're completing 60% of your passes, you're pretty good at being a quarterback, and that's usually like the baseline that we look for. However, the point that they bring up that I didn't think about, they say Allen's receivers struggled to separate. Well, guess what? You're not going to have that problem when you got sober Josh Gordon running down the field. Hell, even high Josh Gordon could get separation and go down the field, and Allen could probably hit him for a couple TDs a game. Sorry, I thought you uh, I had. Thought I you thought were, you. I thought you had more to say. No, I was um, just looking no, at you, I, I looking think, for your, your response. I, no, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And that's, but but how many times have you seen where oh well this guy he only had 57 percent completion mm-hmm. percentage in college and he couldn't get over he couldn't get over this percent and then they come into the NFL and all of a sudden I mean everything everything's getting completed mm-hmm. you know they're they're. They're one of the most accurate quarterbacks. I, I think that it's one of those things where you get put in a situation that's going to be right for that guy. They'll be successful. And I really think that if if he does go to Cleveland, if that's how it works out and Cleveland doesn't sign a quarterback and they go straight for the draft and they go with Allen, I think that Allen will be in a really good situation because of the fact that Hopefully that means that Cleveland would still go and get Saquon Barkley and he'd have mm-hmm. him on the team and you've got another weapon to be able to use. But Cleveland's got weapons. They just need the right guy at quarterback, which they have not had. So I just looked this up just because I was curious. Last year, only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven quarterbacks completed under 60% of their passes. Those quarterbacks, do you want me to start from the highest completion percentage going yeah, down yeah. or the lowest going highest down? Highest down. 59.9, Andy Dalton, the Red Rocket. 59.4, Mitchell, the Trubiscuit, Trubisky. Number 59.1, Cam Scooton Newton. 59 on the dot, Trevor, I'm not a quarterback, Simeon. Then 58.8, Jacoby Brissett. 54.9, C.J. Beathard, 53.6. Deshaun Kaiser. (laughs) The Browns were last. But those were the seven that were completing under that that 60 mark 
under 56, Bethard and Kaiser. So really it's like if you're looking at that stat, he's better than Deshaun Kaiser. He's about 3% better than Kaiser. He's completing more passes than the quarterback you got right now. So why not take him? Why not take him number one? Yeah, that's you know that's 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 the whole thought. And here, but here because the Browns have to take a quarterback unless they get Kirk Cousins. We get that. Ricky, hear me, hear me out in this on, mm-hmm. on this point. Though. I'll hear you out all day, Brandon. As people say, and they look back, and it's easy to now because hindsight, everything works in hindsight. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that people will say now, mm-hmm. if the Cleveland Browns would have signed Carson Wentz. Uh, drafted Carson Wentz. If the Cleveland Browns would have drafted Deshaun Watson, they would be good now. They would have been good last season. They could be. Here's my whole thought, though. Mm-hmm. Would they have been? Different situation. Would they have been because Cleveland has seemingly ruined most quarterbacks mm-hmm. that they draft or get? Would it have been any different? Or no. would we have been looking at wasted talent sitting in Cleveland? It, and the thing is, like, you look at the Carson Wentz is the big one for me because the thing that I think about, and I'm looking for the exact one because it was actually a funny comment, but basically the comment that we received on one of these videos was, oh, what do the Browns need to do? They need to tr- use their draft picks this year to trade for a time machine to go back in time and just draft Carson Wentz. That's what they need to do. I found that one pretty funny. But you look at this, and the thing that I think about is just look at Philly. Look at the turnover that Philly has done in the last two years. I believe it was Colin Cowherd had a graphic. Two years ago, they had a coach that gutted this entire team. They didn't have a coach after firing Chip Kelly. They didn't have a quarterback. They were seemingly not where they were, and in two years they win the Super Bowl. So, I mean, it's hard to say that Carson Wentz goes to the Browns and has the same success. Is he having the success because he's a great quarterback? Yes. But it's also because of the situation you are put into. And that's the thing I want to ask and kind of flip this over into an NFL thing because Mark and I on the onside kick this week are not going to talk about the Browns. Are the Browns the right fit for Josh Allen? Should he go? Like, and this this brings in the question: Should he go number one? Will going number one be beneficial to Allen, or should he go to a Giants at number two, a Jets, a Denver, a X team that needs a quarterback? Hell, even in Arizona, that's I want to say fifteenth. If I'm spitballing off the top of my head, would any of those options be better? than him going number one to Cleveland. Well, I actually think that if Cleveland, if we knew Cleveland wasn't going to completely ruin him, mm-hmm. I would say go to Cleveland because Cleveland's coming off. This is actually the perfect time to go to Cleveland. Mm-hmm. You can't get any worse. They can't actually take you to negative wins. If they could, Cleveland would have found a way to do it, to go negative one in 16, mm-hmm. but they... They won zero games. They can't get worse. They can only do better. Or the same. But I'm assuming they'll do better. Mm -hmm. This would be the perfect time for a rookie quarterback to come in, learn. Are you going to have some mistakes? Yes. But can you learn a lot? And will the Browns be expecting you to be amazing right away? 
Five wins would be amazing right away. Mm-hmm. Six wins would be amazing right away. I think it's a perfect situation. I don't think that the only other situation that I would probably think if things stay the way they are as is, maybe maybe, maybe Denver, mm-hmm. but I don't think they're going to stay the way that they are. I think they're losing two wide receivers. Mm-hmm. And when that happens, I don't want to be anywhere near Denver. Here's what I would do. If I was Cleveland, and this is going to flip it into answering the final question and ending the podcast, should Josh Allen be the number one over pick, number one overall pick to Cleveland? No, I'm saying no, but I'm not saying no because of talent. I'm not saying no because it's like, yeah, I had him go Darnold in my last mock, or I had him go with Saquon Barkley in mock 2.0. I'm saying no because yes, I would still go Saquon at number one, but. I think there's a good chance you get Allen at four. You can get him still at four. And if I'm Cleveland, it it all plays into, do you think that the Giants and the Colts, do you think they're going to take, with Saquon off the board, do you think they are going to pass on picking a player to trade back? Because let's be honest, if you don't take a quarterback at one, Denver and New York are picking up the phone, calling the Giants, calling the Colts, trying to get a trade because, oh, my God, all three quarterbacks are still on the board. Here's the flip side, and this is me just spitballing. If you're Cleveland, let's say you're like all three quarterbacks, I'd be happy with any of the three. Take Saquon one. Let whatever happens, the next two picks, I'll take the scrap. I'll take whoever's there left over. But if you think Allen could still be there because I could see – the way I could see it play out is Browns take Saquon. The Giants might then field a trade like, oh, wait, we can get you want this quarterback. Really, then is Denver or New York going to trade with the Giants for Josh Allen or for one of the other two? Because the Colts, I believe, at that point, just go Bradley Chubb. Come on, come on here because you're now an Indianapolis Colt. And then you could possibly get Allen with the fourth pick and get Saquon in your backfield with Josh Allen to hand the ball off to him or play action and throw it deep to Josh Gordon. Yeah, so I'd like to uh, clear some things mm-hmm. up here. I still actually believe the Browns should go with Saquon Barkley yeah, at number one. because you think they're getting but, Kirk Cousins. <laughs> but, but also, even if they're not, I still think that they should go with Saquon Barkley mm-hmm. at number one. But I would say that Josh Allen should be the number one overall quarterback mm-hmm. off the board. Okay. That, so I misspoke earlier. I got excited and you confused me with your que- line of questioning. So you're saying no to so number I'm, I'm one overall pick. No to number one overall with Allen because it should be mm-hmm. Barkley because you should go for the best overall player, yeah. which would be Saquon Barkley, which would me saying Allen number one goes mm-hmm. against what I've been saying. Um, so really, if you didn't listen to this whole podcast, you'd think I'm a liar, but I'm not. I, w- I want to ask you this. This is me off the top of my head. Do you agree or disagree with this statement? And this is coming straight from Josh Allen's draft profile on NFL.com. Likely be the biggest boomer bust quarterback prospect in this draft. True or false? Biggest boomer bust quarterback in the draft. True or false? I don't think so. I don't think so. Why? Because I think that there's too much talent there for him to be a bust. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't I just don't see him being a being a bust. And and the reason being is because 
the the guys that usually end up being the busts are the, are the ones, ones that, that, have that are talked about all the time and that have the huge expectations. I think there would so be Sam more. Darnold. I think there would be more chance of a Josh Rosen or a Sam Darnold being a bust, or let's even throw out a Baker Mayfield mm-hmm. being a bust than oh, Josh sorry. Allen. Broadway Baker is what they're calling him now. Oh, Do you hear that? No. The new nickname is they. There are some people that want him to go to the Jets, and they're calling him Broadway Baker. Instead of Broadway Joe, they're calling him Broadway Baker. That's the new nickname for Baker Mayfield. Seeing him in that nice jet green while uh, doing that nickname. But I kind of agree with you, but the reason why I think people are going to use that boomer bust with Josh Allen is because the main fact, and this is going to sound cliche, he's super raw. If Cleveland gets him, don't expect him to come in. Hell, I wouldn't even... I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Allen doesn't win the starting job in Cleveland if he's drafted by them. If Deshaun Kaiser wins the job over him just because of how raw Allen is. However, here's the flip side. If they take Allen number one, then I would say you have to start him over Deshaun Kaiser because of how Kaiser played last year and Kaiser's a second round pick. That's what I would think of. But before we end the podcast, any final thoughts on Josh Allen being the number one overall pick? Uh, well, again, I just want to clear and yep. clarify, clarify that it. I would say that Saquon Barkley should be the number one overall pick to mm-hmm. Cleveland, and then because he's the overall best player that they could go mm-hmm. get, and that he would significantly help them, and it would help their running back situation. In, in a year ago, I would have said, no, Isaiah Crowell is just fine. But the way that Crowell played this year was really, really underwhelming and disappointing. So I would say they need somebody better in that backfield. And Duke Johnson doesn't look like he's going to be the everyday guy either. They like him a lot more in a third-down uh, you know, kind of role and, and stuff like that. But then I would say that if Josh Allen... Josh Allen could very easily be the first quarterback off the board, and I would not be surprised. But for Cleveland, number one overall pick, I would go with Saquon Barkley. That's where I'm at. But I still think that Allen has a lot of talent, is and really right now could be the best quarterback of all of them in the draft. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you guys think about Josh Allen and the Browns. Should he be the number one overall pick? Let us know what you guys think down below. In the comment section, finally, thank you guys for watching, listening to the full podcast and a little housekeeping here at the end. You want to help us keep doing what we're doing, make sure we can do new and better things. Check out patreon.com backslash podcast. One dollar can get you an exclusive podcast each and every month from the MVP. Guys, number two, go ahead and check the store down below to get your own MVP t-shirt. If you're on Apple Podcasts, you listen on iTunes, go ahead and give the Primetime Podcast a five-star rating. And last but not least, bookmark most valuable podcasts. You never miss anything from MVP. Want to thank you guys for watching on YouTube. Want to thank you guys for listening to the Primetime Podcast around the world on any podcast service. But as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.